I'll be reading from the New King James Version. In the Pew Bible, it'll be page 1032. And least I shall be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reapproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Good morning. It is good to see each of you, and if you are visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. We welcome you again, and we hope that you'll be able to be with us time and time again. As we continue closing out this year and beginning next year with an emphasis on prayer, there is the topic of prayer that we must address before we close this emphasis on prayer. And that is how to handle the difficult situations when we fervently pray and we pour out our heart to God over and over and it seems that God just isn't there. We begin to wonder, are our thoughts and our prayers going any higher than the ceiling? Why is it that if God loves me, isn't He answering the prayer that I fervently offer to Him? I thought it was pretty ironic the other night we had several from the 20-something class over to our house, and we were celebrating a birthday. And you can imagine all of the conversations that were taking place in the same room, and then we quieted down to have a prayer before we ate. And as the prayer was being offered, no one realized that the radio had been on in the background the entire time. Well, the prayer had already begun by the time anyone realized that the radio was on. And as we're praying, Garth Brooks is singing in the background about... Thank God for unanswered prayers. That's interesting. Now, if you'll remember that song, probably most of us could agree that we can look back in our life, and just as that song portrays, there are many things in our past that we perhaps fervently prayed, and we asked God for them. And just as in that song, that gentleman was able to look back, and he would say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. You remember he ran into his old high school flame at a football game back at his old high school. And he and his wife visited with his high school flame. And as the story unfolds, after he walks away, he thinks about the times that he prayed to God, if you'll just give me this woman as my wife, I'll never ask you for anything again. And he's able now to look back and say, God, I'm thankful you didn't answer my prayer the way that I prayed it. You know... That's real easy to see when it's decades down the road, but sometimes that's so hard to see at the very moment. 
But also, let's give this warning from the beginning. There are many things about grief and about prayer that are mysteries that will not be revealed on this side of eternity. But there are definitely some principles that are given in the Scriptures that we should know. And there's principles that ought to become a part of our thought pattern and a part of our faith. And so today we'll look at the first aspect of this passage and we'll look at some principles that we must have placed in our life. We must have this understanding. We must have this faith in God built upon these things. And then tonight we'll come back and we'll look at it also, the rest of this passage, from the standpoint that says, okay, I have that understanding, but still, what do I do now? And we'll try to give Paul's explanation to his story of suffering when he prayed three times to God, remove this thorn from my flesh. But yet God did not choose to remove that thorn from his flesh. It's not easy to hear God say no. Look again, if you will, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter in verse 7. He says again, let's notice this, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. In this one passage here, we can learn three things this morning. Number one, we see that there was a good man that was experiencing quite a bit of pain. I need to note something. It hurts to hurt, but it's not bad to hurt. Our counselor, Bud Lambert, has helped many of us come to understand this. But friends, that's not just a Bud Lambert thought. That's the way God reveals reality for faithful Christians. If you and I are to grow spiritually, we're going to have to go through some pain in our life and stay faithful to God during that pain. And so first this morning, let's develop the thought of will good people go through pain, loss, suffering, disappointments, challenges, trials? Absolutely. And then second, we'll look at another aspect, and that is a gift. We can rest assured that we'll receive gifts in our life, and oftentimes those gifts are very painful gifts. And hopefully we can summarize, just as Paul does in this passage, that he developed an attitude. It was an attitude of humility, and that attitude of humility came from an individual that was willing to suffer and stay with God all of that time. Let's develop some of these thoughts this morning, but as we begin, I'd like to pause from this lesson and remind us of something and then come right back on track to this lesson. There are many reasons why we suffer And to try to take all of our sufferings and lump them into one category would be to misunderstand suffering itself. Because you see, sometimes you and I suffer, and what we need to do is we need to repent. Sin, sin creates suffering in our life. Now, not that this is the only sin by any means, but just so that we're on the same page of thought. Think for a moment, someone who who goes and violates God's will and then becomes addicted to a substance or to a behavior that's sinful. That hurts their life. And so they'll have losses. They'll experience pain. And what do they need to do? They need to repent. But also, those same losses and pain will be experienced by those that they directly affect. And so there will be others that are experiencing losses and disappointments, and it will be because of another person's sin. 
third, I need to realize that some of the losses, disappointments, challenges, struggles that we face in life are because God allowed them to happen to give us an opportunity to grow. Hebrews teaches very straightforward that we need to be disciplined. We need to allow God to chasten us to chastise us so that we can become stronger individuals. If you take a child and you give them only blessings in their life, they'll grow up to be weak, ungrateful individuals. Everyone must go through trials in order to grow stronger. As we consider some of those things, let's come back to this aspect of the life of Paul. Paul had something taking place in his life. And I ask you, is it a surprise to you as you read this this morning that if we had to pick out in the New Testament one of the greatest individuals that that walked the face of the earth during the first century, I would say, of course, all of us would vote Jesus Christ, number one, but how quickly on that list would the name the Apostle Paul appear on that list? Uh, Paul was amazing. His faith, his sacrifice, his commitment, his dedication, his service. Amazing fella. But what is Paul saying? saying, I had some hard times in my life. And I had times where God told me, no, I won't answer that prayer like you're asking it. Friends, does that surprise you? Have you bought into the the lie that says if we serve God, God is going to remove any struggles out of our life? Do you really believe that if you and your spouse are faithful to God, that you'll raise children that won't have any struggles in their life? Do you really believe that if you and your spouse are faithful to God that that you won't have any struggles in your marriage? Do you believe that if, if you and your family are committed to God, you won't have to deal with the pain of separation? If we stop and think for a moment, we think how ridiculous that is. Where does that line of thinking come from? Those misbeliefs come from Satan. It's not God that places in our mind that godly people do not suffer. As a matter of fact, Let's think about these examples as we go to the next slide. And this is just a few of hundreds that we could study in the Scriptures. Think about the pain in the life of David. Many of us would would probably think about David, and we would think about a man that, that did so much good, and perhaps many of us would even say, I'd kind of like to have been King David. I wonder how many of you, if you had to put on a card right now, yes or no, would you have liked to have been King David? I wonder how many of you would have said, a man after God's own heart? A man that God gave a tremendous kingdom to? A man that was strong enough to stand before a giant, even as a young boy? I'd love to be King David. King David's life was full of heartaches. Full of challenges that would make most of us shudder to even stand in his shoes. To stand before a giant to run for seven years living in caves from Saul, to step over into the darkness of sin. And do you remember? Do you remember when he committed that sin, what God told to him, 2 Samuel? He told him because he had taken Uriah's wife, listen to this, that the sword would never leave his family. God forgave him of his sin, but just as God does today, he will not take away the fact that we must reap what we sow. And so we look at the rest of David's life. It was full of hurt. It was full of pain. He saw one of his sons rape one of his daughters. He saw another son kill that son. The son Absalom that he loved that became the murderer ran away and then he didn't get to see his son for three years. When finally his son returned, he returned sooner than later than to try to take over the kingdom and had to go to war against his own son and he watched his son die. 
Yes, God's words came true. The sword never left the family of David. We look at a man in the Scriptures, and sometimes our human nature is we only want to see the good things, don't we? Go back and study the life of David again, and you'll see a man that's heartbroken over and over and over. And some of his heartbreak was because he sinned, and he brought it upon himself. But then we look at an example like Hannah. Infertility broke her heart. Her husband had another wife that just would continually rub it in her face that she couldn't bring a son or a daughter into this world. Many of you women can understand better than any of us men the pain that that would have been. And she prays to God wanting a child with a broken heart. She makes a vow to God, I'll give back this male child to you if you'll give me one God. And you know what? When she took little Samuel back at just a few years old to present him back to the temple to allow him to grow up not under her care but under someone else's care, God didn't say, bless your heart, you just take your little boy back home. She made the vow and God let her keep the vow. Now she left from there giving thanks to God, singing a prayer of thanksgiving. But you know that there were days that her heart was breaking. But how do we remember David, a man after God's own heart? How do we remember Hannah, a woman that was so faithful to God, she'd give back her son just as she'd promised God? And we can look at Moses and think of the, the pain that was in his life, and we could spend sermons on each one of these, but so much of his pain was because of the life of others. If you could ask Moses, you want to grow up in your own house? I would say he would say yes instead of growing up in Pharaoh's house. And then finally, 40 years later, he's out in the wilderness. What a change from Pharaoh's palace to a shepherd. And then 40 years later, he's saying to God, I really don't want to go back. I really don't lead them. And God says, I want you to go back. And he goes back for God. He could have never believed that he would spend the next 40 years of his life leading people that murmur and complain. What did he do? He dealt with it. Friends, we look at the life of Job. And it's almost an unbelievable story. But after all of his ten children are dead, all of his possessions are gone, a supportive spiritual wife is no longer available. You know, the Scriptures tells us that he didn't sin against God and he worshiped. Preacher, what's the point? Good people suffer. It's that simple. And if I've got some kind of mindset in my mind that I'm going to live a righteous life and, and I'm never going to go through any heartaches, that thought comes from Satan because he's wanting to set us up tall on false beliefs so that when that time comes, he can bowl us over all the way to the depths of false beliefs. This morning, please believe, please believe that God does not promise to spare us from hurt on this earth. Now let's just note this as a sideline point. That ought to be one of the reasons that you and I want to go to heaven so desperately. This world isn't all that a lot of people crack it up to be. There's a place so much better than this earth. 
That's why when God wanted to tell Christians, you see, Christians would understand this. When he wanted to tell Christians some of the beautiful attributes and aspects of heaven, he would say that it's a place with no pain, no tears, and no suffering. People that wholly devote their life to God will have those sufferings. Maybe not as much as people out in the world, and definitely not without hope, but there will be sufferings. Let's go to the next slide, and let's note this as a transition statement here. The question isn't whether or not you will hurt. Instead, it should be, will you be faithful and grow throughout your pain, giving thanks in all things? That's not easy. But that's the example that we see in the life of Paul. He had the thorn in his flesh, and he wasn't willing to leave God over it. Even when he prayed a prayer and God did not answer that prayer as he prayed, he still was willing to take it and use it to God's glory. And tonight, that's the point that we'll be developing, is what do you do when God says no, when Paul is a beautiful example of taking God's answer and using it to God's glory. But now let's go to the second point here, and that is a gift. Have you ever thought about the fact that God said to Paul, the thorn that you have is a gift? But notice the source of that gift. I want to read again to you verse 7. And notice the source of this gift. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given. So Paul says it was a gift. It was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. God is only the giver of good gifts, James 1 teaches us. So where do the negative gifts come from in our life? Well, he says here, it's a message from Satan. But mixed in that message of Satan is also a message from God. And tonight, we'll study that message more in depth. But the point is this. Can you and I see beyond the giver, Satan, to see that something good can come out of all of this? Now notice, Paul said he was given to buffet him. As a matter of fact, there are several phrases in this one verse 7 that speak of the fact that Paul needed to be humble. You see, when we look here in verse 7, he said, listen to these phrases, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then he says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Some of you may already know this. We definitely already know this. Others of you may not. You see, we began reading this morning at verse 7. The first six verses talk about an experience that Paul had in his life. And although he speaks of it in a third-person tense, most agree that he's speaking about himself. It was an opportunity where God allowed him to do something that we really don't know of any other, any other person having the opportunity of doing. He was allowed to see into the third heavens. He saw things that nobody else was allowed to see. And he could have spoke things to people when he came back to this earth, but no one on earth is allowed to hear these things being uttered. Have you ever been somewhere that when you came back, you kind of felt a little proud? I wonder how many of you, if, if you had the opportunity to go and to visit personally with the president and sit down and eat a meal in the White House, I wonder how many would come back feeling just a little bit arrogant about themselves. Can you imagine the temptation of arrogance that it would be if out of everybody, God allowed you to see into heaven? Wow. 
God said to Paul, and Paul explained it to us, so that you don't become full of pride, exalt yourself. I'm going to allow Satan to buffet you. And by the way, in Job, the first chapter and second chapter, we see this same thing as God discusses with Satan that he will allow Satan to also bring hardships upon the life of Job. But the word buffet is very strong. We oftentimes think about it in the sense of discipline because it can be applied to discipline, but really when we just look at the root word itself, it goes back. It's the idea to wrap on with your fist. So, fathers, next time you have your teenage son in the living room floor and you're wrestling with him, tell him, I'm going to buffet your head. And uh, it's the idea. It's the idea that is to bring a forceful blow to injure the other. Now think about this. Paul, what did you experience? I experienced God allowing Satan to take his fist and beat upon me. There was a thorn in my flesh that I pleaded with God, remove this. And God said no. But God's supposed to take care of good people. Take care how? Does comfort come before holiness? Does being comfortable come before spiritual service? He did take care of Paul. He gave Paul the discipline that he needed in his life in order to move closer to God and be of greater service for God for the remaining years of his life. This happened 14 years ago, but yet Paul was still serving God right now. Now think about this. If God would not have allowed Satan to buffet him, where would he have been these 14 years later? Odds are he wouldn't have been here writing this epistle and strengthening these people and a blessing to God and his service, and also his soul might not have been saved. But you see, as we look through the Scriptures, God has always buffeted his people. We see on the slide there that Job, Jesus, Paul, and the truth is even you. If you love God, God is going to allow Satan to buffet you. He's going to allow Satan ways to affect your life to see if you're willing to stand for God. Let's go to the next slide and let's consider two things just to kind of address the idea of curiosity and then we'll come back to the spiritual notion of this, of this aspect. But oftentimes people say, what in the world was the thorn in the flesh? And let's begin by saying there are about as many opinions of that as there are scholars in the world. Many, many, many things come to the surface. But there's two passages that lead us to kind of toward two areas of thought. One is from Galatians, the fourth chapter in verse 15 when he says, What then? Let me get over there. Galatians 4 and 15. And he says, What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Of course, this is Paul writing to those of Galatia. And he says there, he's talking about the love that they had for him. He says, I know that you would have even plucked your eyes out and given them to me. That makes you believe that perhaps Paul had problems with his eyesight. And maybe they were saying, we would have given your own eyes if, if that would have worked. 
Others say that's just a proverbial phrase, that it's just meaning a great love, that they would sacrifice their right arm, so to speak, for another. Another idea comes from passages like 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, you remember in verse 14 when he talked about the difficult time nearing the end of his life with Alexander the coppersmith? Did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. And so what is the thorn in the flesh? Is it some kind of physical ailment where Paul really believes, if I could just have this removed out of my life, my life would be more comfortable, but also I'd be of greater service to God? Was it an individual or a situation that was bringing much harm and hardship into his life where we would say, Lord, I can't get rid of this person. I don't know what to do. I'm just calling on your name, Lord. Please remove this situation out of my life. We don't know. But we know that it created tremendous pain. But what we do know is we do know that we're all going to have trials in our life. And as you're turning, if you will, to James, the first chapter, James, the first chapter, I want you to think with me of perhaps the wisdom of not revealing whatever the trial really was specifically. You know, every one of us here this morning probably have some kind of trial in our life. Maybe you have some kind of grief that is so deep because of the loss of someone you love so dearly. Maybe you have a challenge before you right now that you could honestly say, I'd almost rather do anything than to face this challenge. Maybe you have a temptation in your life that you have come to describe it as a demon. You have wrestled with this inside and out, day and night, month after month, year after year. And sometimes you feel like throwing your hands up and saying, I don't know how to handle this temptation. Why wasn't Paul's thorn identified? Maybe it's to help all of us identify better with Paul. Because the bottom line is, we're all going to have some kind of thorn. And the question will be, how will we approach it? With God or against God? Let's read this as we bring this lesson to a close. We're in James, the first chapter, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count, means to deem it, to consider it. Count it all joy, all joy. That's a delightful calmness. Find that delightful calmness in your life. But that's impossible because I'm in the midst of a trial. No, that's what this verse is about. How we're going to handle the trial so that we can find a calmness in our life. When you fall into, the word fall into literally means to be surrounded by, picture if you will, you're at McDonald's. That's ah, where you kids love to be and adults endure. You're at McDonald's and a little three-year-old is standing on the edge of the balls. And he falls into the balls. And what happens? They just engulf him. That is the same idea behind this word to fall into. Oh, we sometimes have little trials. He's not talking about little trials here. He's talking about when the trials just engulf you. Where you say, they're on every side. It's what I wake up thinking about. It's what I go to bed thinking about. It's the challenge that I have before me. He says, I want you to find joy in these various trials. Why? Knowing 
Did he say knowing? Have you ever noticed in times of grief is when we feel like the most often that we just don't know? I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how long this pain is going to last. I don't know what I should do in the midst of this. I don't know what I should do to feel better. It's interesting to me that the time in our life when it just seems like we don't have any answers that we can know, he refers to that time when we're just engulfed in trials and he says, I want you to know this. And see, let's go back just for a moment in our minds. There are many mysteries of grief and prayer that we will not understand on this side. But there are some things God wants us to know. And He wants us to know this, as we look in verse 3, that the testing of your faith, that's what trials do, they test our faith, produces patience. Uh, You stand out at the very end of the line of Nissan. And I know some of you guys have done this and perhaps do it on a daily basis. And out rolls a beautiful, brand new 2005 car. Whoa. You know, you look at that beautiful car and you think, where'd that come from? Guy says, that's produced in there. Guy look back in the doorway there. Me in there. Oh yeah, it just came in in parts. They started putting all the parts together and out rolls that car. That's what is produced in there. And somebody says, now now notice the end there, verse 3, produced patience, endurance. Somebody says, I want endurance. I want to stand out there at the end of the line, you know, where endurance is rolled out and, and you see somebody that's faithful. You know, I hesitate to call names in a sermon and so I'll still be hesitant to do that. But you know, many times over the last couple of years, I've been at my desk typing, and I can look just right out my window there. I see one of our widows comes bouncing in with a beautiful bouquet of flowers for our secretaries for us to enjoy in the office. Or she drops off some kind of little snack for us to eat. Or I know of her taking food to other people on a regular basis and giving rides to others that need rides, and extra care. And she's gone through, probably through as many losses as anybody in this house. And when I see that kind of endurance, I just always have to pause and thank God and hope and pray that I could have that kind of endurance in the same situation. You pull up there and and you see endurance rolled out at the end of the line and somebody says, I want to do that. You better hesitate before you say that. Because you know how endurance like that is built? Look back in the assembly line and it's built through going through some difficult times and staying faithful to God. It's facing mountains that are so high that you say, God, I could not do it alone. And God says, that's right, but I'm with you. Let's travel it together. It's going through valleys of losses where you say, God, I just couldn't handle another loss. And God says, I'll go with you through that valley of the shadow of death. It's staying up at nights with God. And it's waking up early in the mornings with God. And it's going through hard days with God. You want endurance? You better think long and hard before you pray for endurance. 
Because God says, I've got a recipe for endurance. I can put trials in your life. And you can find out what you're really made of. It's trials that strengthen individuals. So with that in mind, he says in verse 4, but let patience, endurance, patience, have its perfect, its complete work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Good people are going to suffer. Various reasons. Sometimes it's God actually allowing Satan to give you a gift because God wants you to use that gift for His glory. He wants you to be surrounded with some heartaches and some hardships because the truth is, that's what's going to make you stronger. But it's still not easy. Tommy Dorsey, in the 1930s, he left Chicago on Route 66 to go down into Illinois. He was hesitant to leave because his wife was pregnant. He almost didn't, but finally decided that he would, and she agreed that he should. He went down and he performed several times, and at the end of each time, the crowd would yell for him to sing it again or sing another one, and he did, and he did, and he did, and finally he sat down exhausted, and a little boy ran up with a Western Union telegram and said, your wife just died. He ran to a phone, and he checked on Nettie. She was dead, but she delivered the little boy. He rushed back to Chicago. It's a mixture of grief and joy. But later that night, the son died also. He buried them both in the same casket. He felt that his world was falling apart. He thought maybe this would be the time in his life that he would leave God. He locked himself into a room for quite some time. And then finally he thought, instead, I think I'll depend upon God but I don't know exactly where to start. So I walked over to a piano, and he began playing the medley. He just made it up. And then he started singing these words. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. There's a place far better than this place. And the only way we'll ever make it to the other place to remain faithful here. Enduring trials with God. He loves you. And He won't leave you when the pain is great. And even when everybody else leaves you, He's still there. And He wants to take you to a home where everything will be right. If you haven't been baptized into Christ or if you need to be restored, if we can help you as the Lord takes your hand and leads you home, come as we stand and as we sing.